You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Good evening and welcome to the Agony Column. I'm your host, Rick Kleffel. Tonight we have a special live show with Stephen Kessler and Alta Ifland, two local writers who have made the journey from poetry to prose. Let's hear first from Alta Ifland. Elegy for a Fabulous World In my dreams, their house always appears as if separated from the rest of the universe with no surroundings and I, equally remote from any connection to the present or future, standing on the front steps before the closed door. It is in that moment of waiting for the door to open that the house takes shape, a promised gift in a Christmas package wrapped in colorful glittering ribbons, the kind of gift I never received as a child. Then a hand unwraps the ribbon and Aunt Raisa stands in the crack of the open door, and as I enter the house, time stands still, And at the end of the long, dark hall, Uncle Otto greets me from his rocking chair, where he reads always the same paper with the same content, the Ukrainian Communist Party Daily, in which yesterday's news is also tomorrow's, the same news of an eternal gray unreality. Now we're going to hear from Stephen Kessler. Bard Behind Bars. Something was wrong with this scenario. They couldn't really be arresting me. I hadn't done anything. I was not Franz K. or Joseph K., but Stephen K., and this was not Prague or Budapest or any other nightmare police state capital, but San Francisco, most liberal of cities. The social torments of the 60s were giving way to a new, improved decade of drug-induced understanding, musical union, and peaceful harmonization of diversity. I was a composer of this cultural future, the furthest thing from a criminal. And yet these uniforms surrounding me, the institutional indifference of the men inside them, the naked harshness of the room's hard surfaces under the glare of unforgiving lights, told me I could be mistaken. Maybe I'd wandered into an alternate universe where poets, like Shelley's unacknowledged legislators, were cops. Or this could be an elaborate charade, a skillfully improvised mask of poet actors whose purpose was to induct me into their ranks. My brief career as a fraternity boy, or for that matter as a graduate student, had taught me that in order to enter any exclusive group you had to be hazed, subjected to absurd rituals, a process of humiliation that bonded you to your colleagues. The guys behind these typewriters, desk sergeants or whatever, might actually be banging out celebratory verses to welcome me into their club. I was getting tired of the aggravation of not knowing what was going on, but if this was the price I had to pay, okay. Stephen Kessler is a poet, translator, essayist, editor, and novelist. He's the author of eight books and chapbooks of original poetry. His most recent collection of poems is Burning Daylight. He's also a literary translator, and his most recent work of translation is Desolation of the Chimera, 
The Last Poems by Louis Cernuda. He's also written a book of essays, Moving Targets on Poets, Poetry, and Translation, and his newest book is a novel titled The Mental Traveler. Thank you for joining me, Stephen. It's a pleasure. And Alta Ifland grew up in Romania and immigrated to the United States in 1991. She started her career as a writer in the French language and began writing in English in 2005. Her first book of prose poems, Voice of Ice, was awarded the 2008 Louis Guillaume Prize. Her new book, Elegy for a Fabulous World, is her first work written directly in English. Thank you for joining me, Alta. Thank you for inviting me. And the two of you have both been nominated for Northern California Book Awards. Uh, could you tell us um, about that? Uh, Stephen, tell us what, about your book. The, I'm uh, a finalist in the translation category for the Luis Cernuda book, Desolation of the Chimera. Um, uh, it's a collection of late poems by 20th century Spanish poet, uh, contemporary of Garcia Lorca, who most people have heard of in this country. Um, there is There are a number of other poets of that generation that are very important Spanish poets, and Serenuda is certainly one of them. Uh, the Northern California Book Awards, which take place in San Francisco on the 18th of April, are... Uh, they've been going on for between 20 and 30 years. I'm not sure exactly how many years, but it's in the 20s somewhere, and... Uh, started out as uh, the Bay Area Book Reviewers Association. They changed their name to the Northern California Book Reviewers. And this is uh, an event that happens every year. They nominate uh, books in, I think, six categories. Uh, translation, which is the, you know, sort of the, the, the adjunct uh, <laughs> category. There's children's books, uh, creative nonfiction, general nonfiction, uh, fiction, and poetry. Um, so... Uh, and Alta is a uh, finalist in the in the fiction category. Alta, um, let's get this out right now. You guys are married, so <laughs> that's, that's kind of interesting. Could you talk about uh, the two of you being nominated? I, I mean, how did you guys uh, find this out? Well, this was very... It was very surprising. I mean, I, I found out by accident on the Internet... <laughs> Really? Um, yes, before we were announced officially. Before we were officially uh, uh, notified by, yeah. the, by the organizers of the awards. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and really, um, I did not expect it because, um, you know, my publisher is rather small. Um, and <coughs> the book was published, so I was nominated for um, Elegy for a Fabulous World <coughs> in the fiction category. And uh, the book was published in October 2009, so it's a recent book. One of the things I think that's interesting about your two books is you both seem to have a real kinship with uh, an author who's very remote, and that's Franz Kafka. And uh, I would describe maybe Stephen's book is what what you might expect if Franz Kafka turned on, tuned in, and dropped out and took a trip up and down the California coast and had not such a happy time about it. <laughs> Well, th th that is. I mean, it's true that we both uh, uh, come out of of Kafka in a certain way. Um, uh, there is a Kafkaesque uh, element. It's it's my book is more like a hybrid of you know Kafka and Huckleberry Finn and and uh, <laughs> Ken Kesey or something. But uh, but it's true that there is a sense of the. Uh, you know the absurd, the the, the uh, powers beyond your control um, affecting your 
uh, situation, um, you know, feeling uh, uh, confused about why things are happening to you. The narrator of, of my story is a young poet who is having a he d- discovers or he he never fully acknowledges but it's the reader discovers in the course of the the f- first several chapters that he's he's having a psychotic break and he's losing contact with consensual reality even though his own reality is quite interesting and kind of visionary but but uh, there is that element of feeling i mean especially for example in the passage i just read that you know being a, 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 a subject to uh, bureaucratic uh, machinations that one has a hard time understanding. And, and Alta, this is a, a certainly an aspect of your work as well. Well, I was actually wondering what would be the connection that you would establish between our books and that, that, that it came as a surprise, but actually I think it's a great, it's a great uh, remark because indeed if there is a connection, this is it. Although in my book there is really no reference to Kafka, but He's definitely a writer I very much admire, and I think he influenced me, I hope. (laughs) Um, But um, it's not only that I admire Kafka, but I really identify very much as a Central Eastern European, uh, well, Eastern European because I come from Romania, but um, I really identify mostly with authors of Central Eastern European origin, many of them Jewish, who have written in, in Kafka's Spirit, I would say Bruno Schulz, uh, Gombrowicz, who was not Jewish, but he's a sort of Kafka gone wild. I mean, he's even crazier than Kafka, but unfortunately, he's not as well known. Let's talk a little bit about your book, Alta. Um, this is, uh, it's called Elegy for a Fabulous World, and it has a really lovely and interesting approach to reality. <laughs> Your your uh, perceptions in this book, um, Stephen was talking about consensual, consensual reality. Uh, your perceptions in this book um, seem to largely sidestep uh, consensual reality. Could you talk about the kind of um, odd, I guess, very the, – the characters who tell these stories and the experiences in these stories seem intensely – personal, so intensely personal that they, they don't necessarily seem to be relating to the rest of us particularly. Hmm. Well, I can't speak for not relating to the rest of us, but um, but yes, they are very personal. Um, I mean, I guess every writer identifies with uh, not only with the main character, but also with several characters mm-hmm. in, in one story. So, of course, that's the case here, too. Um, some of the stories are um, very much autobiographical, or I'm not going to say exactly <laughs> which ones and in what way, but they definitely are. But um, they are autobiographical in a way that, it, I mean, it's also definitely uh, the, the stories transcend the biographical or the autobiographical. And um, um, regarding my approach to reality, again, I think... I think it's I think it's related to a certain Central Eastern Europe, European way of looking at reality, and whenever somebody tells me that I write like a surrealist or I don't know comparisons made with the South American writers or um, magic realism, um, I, I don't think that's appropriate because it, it's actually the way I write is very very much grounded in the Central Eastern European tradition and it's just another way of looking at reality. What what interests me. 
uh, about your book is that there's a kind of the the characters perceive the world through a kind of a lens of the the fantastic in that they tend to believe in these kind of things that that we in sitting here in this studio surrounded by CDs maybe might not be so willing to believe in and and I love the kind of dark and humorous approach these stories are really kind of sweetly funny in a odd way that talk about creating and they are also very very character driven so that's one thing I want to talk about uh, talk about creating some of these characters uh, like Fadia the, the, the grave digger I mean this is a great character yeah um, yeah I, I like him too it's interesting how that story came about because Fedya, although I feel very close to him, is really an imaginary character. And the story came because actually I think we were talking um, once about a grave digger, but it was in a totally different context. And the word grave digger brought back to my mind, not brought back, it, it brought, brought into my mind the story. It's the word itself that had a certain magic to it that made me see Fedja right away, made me see this character. And he feels like somebody I know, I knew, although I actually never knew him in reality. Now, uh, here's another similarity between these two books, and it's, this seems, I guess, obvious to me that in both of these books, we meet a variety of fairly odd characters, Yet they, they they they're quirky and they're they're funny and they're interesting and sometimes dangerous in Stephen's book. Uh, but um, you know they they both seem uh, kind of they're they're they seem to have they have the weight of uh, truth in them. And so Stephen, talk about creating some of the characters that that uh, your your uh, main character encounters on his journey. Well, it's important to note that. Uh, this story is set at it, it starts in December 1969 and it goes about as far as uh, about six months maybe less into 1970 that's the mm-hmm. historical context so that period of uh, American history and especially in, in Northern California was a rather um, tumultuous uh, moment when reality itself was being there there was a a, a, a contest um, mm-hmm. going on as to w- whose reality would prevail um, and there were many there were many different um, you know sort of uh, social uh, kinds of consciousness um, there was you know the established um, uh, conventional straight world, and there were there were uh, people who were highly uh, political and protesting the war, and and uh, very active in opposing uh, American uh, foreign policy, primarily. And there was also a segment of the counterculture which was not so directly political, but uh, attempting to create some kind of utopian transformative vision of of uh, of a new society and so the people that are portrayed in my story um come from all those different sectors and most of them I didn't have to make up you know <laughs> they're they're actually based upon people that I met mm-hmm. uh during that time 
And, of course, the the narrator of this book, who is a first-person narrator, who is based upon somebody very similar to who I was at the time, um, you know, he's pretty way out there, too. Um, so between his uh, kind of extreme imagining of a scenario that appears to be going on uh, and the the fact that there are a lot of other agitated people out there at the same time with you know different kinds of obsessions and fixations and and visions and and fears and and hopes um, you get a lot of kind of extreme behavior and I think this was characteristic of of the time I mean one of the 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 things that I hope is conveyed in this book is that sort of spirit of general agitation mm-hmm. that was in the atmosphere. I mean, this character is extremely disturbed, but he represents a sort of extreme manifestation of something that was much more general. Mm-hmm. And uh, people whom I've heard from about this book um, who didn't have exactly the kind of extreme experience that is described by the narrator, it they have told me that it brought back for them uh, the feeling of of unreality, uh, the feeling of of uh, you know questioned reality that that uh, was quite pervasive. I think, especially at that particular moment. So I think that's the source. I didn't really have to invent these people. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were part of the of the of the social landscape that I was inhabiting at the time, and that I tried to bring back when I wrote this book. In much the same way that Alta's um, sketches and, and, and uh, stories bring to life uh, a world that to us at least seems somewhat peppered with the surreal and the unreal and, and a fair amount of agitation itself. Yeah, it, it, what's interesting is that when I talk to people um, who read the book, what was interesting to me was that for them, the things that were more surreal or bizarre were the things that for me were the most normal because they were normal in the world in which I lived. Really? And I never even thought about them. They were just so normal to me. And uh, they thought that they were the... Like, for example, in Fedja, the gravedigger, although Fedja was a character I more or less invented, um, you know, the description of the the way uh, the burial ritual and the cemetery, and that's all real. This is how it was. And many people were kind of a little puzzled by that, but that that was something that uh, I didn't even think about it. I mean, it was the reality in which I grew up. We'll get back to my conversation with Stephen Kessler and Alta Ifland in a moment. Now let's get back to my conversation with Stephen Kessler and Alta Ifland. You know, and, and here I am, uh, I'm going to continue to draw the commonalities between these books. And one thing I think these both books both are is a journey. Uh, Stevens is a real physical and a mental journey. And I think so is Alta's. I, I mean, Alta, your your work starts there and ends up here and there. Uh, and uh, it, I think there's a physical journey for both of you in these books, but also an intellectual and perceptual journey that's, I think, equally important. So, Stephen, um, talk about, uh, you know, the details. This is a book about mental illness, and that's something I find really fascinating. Talk, did you uh, research the, the details of, of um, what, what happens when somebody actually has a psychotic break? I didn't have to because I 
experienced it. Um, this is a very, although this is a work of fiction, mm-hmm. but it's based upon an experience that I had in the time described mm-hmm. in which um, I went somewhere in consciousness that I had never been before and that most people uh, regard as um, mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Uh so I didn't really have to do any research. I mean, subsequent to this experience, I did some, you know, I did quite a bit of reading about mm-hmm. about this sort of thing. But but in terms of the evocation of the what I wanted to do by writing a, a novel about this is to convey the subjectivity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of what it actually felt like rather than describing it from the outside Mm -hmm. i wanted to give the reader as immediate a sense as possible of what this character was going through in his in his mind uh, while uh on this journey and it is a physical journey Mm -hmm. um and it's i i think this book in terms of literary tradition it's in the the picaresque tradition Mm -hmm. of you know it's the sort of lovable rascal sometimes not so lovable who um, you know goes around having adventures and getting in trouble? I mean, it's the character is almost more the uh, the book. You know, I think is in the lineage in American literature of Huckleberry Finn. Um, although the character, you know, well, he's a little bit of Huck and a little bit of Tom, and you know, then some other people too. But but the um, the idea behind this book, I had to tell a story because it's something I went through that was the most formative experience of my life and I thought it really had a great deal to do with my becoming a writer I mm-hmm. had already I wanted at the time and this is one of the themes of the book um, I wanted to be a poet I was in graduate school at the time uh, and this character is torn between his uh, you know desire for sort of middle-class respectability which is the academic path and the desire to be a visionary poet, which is this creative path, which is much more fraught with with danger. Um, and one of his apparent delusions during this whole experience of being in and out of hospitals and jail and and uh, going through all these ordeals is that, well, I must. This must be part of the initiation. You know, I must. Somebody must be putting me through this. Because it's what you have to go through in order to be a poet. Um, it was an interesting rationale, you know, kind of a self-protective uh, uh, psychological mechanism to explain the inexplicable. Somebody who doesn't think he's crazy, but is acting in a way that other people think is crazy, and therefore they're like putting him in institutions and things from which he's repeatedly walking away and thinking this is just the natural thing to do. Um, so, uh, I've lost my conclusion there, but, but the, 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 in answer to your question, I didn't really have to do any research because the research was in the experience and, oh, I know what I was going to say was that he, he has this delusion about having to, you know, be hazed into the secret society of poets. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that is one of the constant themes of the book and what I think is ultimately uh, uh, one of the truths that he is perceiving through this 
very difficult and often unpleasant uh, experience is that is that well this is what you have to do to be a poet and you know it it relates to the the hero myth of, of that Joseph Campbell popularized of the you know the the person who is going to be a uh, a priest or a, a in the secular sense and maybe an artist or somebody with a uh something to contribute something exceptional to to try to contribute to society in order to do that they have to go into the wilderness you know experience uh, a number of ordeals get through that and with that knowledge return to the regular regular society um this is what i think is one of the main themes of this book and uh that's i think for those who can experience mental illness recover from it mm-hmm. and return to the world that most people agree is the sane world although you know that's <laughs> open to question open to debate <laughs> I, I, um you know that that they have something that is is a uh something to contribute and it's also something uh, a kind of strength in their own personality or in their own psyche that enables them to um you know to kind of negotiate the unreal parts of the consensual real that's now that's very interesting and alta i'd like you to talk about the journey that you make in in, in your book because i think it's a, it's a not dissimilar journey from a, a world that it where the personal perceptions of reality um have a little bit more importance and, and when you bring that kind of perceptive the the perceptions that the um we see in the first part of the book into this world uh it's not so easy to uh assimilate is it hmm. well you're right it's a journey and you mentioned before that the book is um <clears throat> divided into two parts the first part is there and the second here and there so the first part is situated in um what for me now seems like another world, that's why I call it there, and which this other world is obviously the um, <clears throat> um, country in which I grew up, which uh, was communist. I lived during communism. I grew up during communism. Um, but I call this world, in, in, in I think all of the stories with one exception, I think I call it the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And there is one story um, which I in which the country is not named, uh, but it's still obvious that it's a former communist country because that's the story when the character goes back mm-hmm. um, to the old country. Uh, but but um, they are they they all the stories in there are based on the place where I grew up, which is northern Transylvania, the western part of Romania, and for obviously I think probably for similar reasons to Stephen's reason reasons um, I. To, to to name the things as they are seems this makes them seem to somehow you you need a certain distance when you write you need mm-hmm. to fictionalize so Transylvania became the Ukraine <laughs> but and I chose that I don't know for many reasons um, uh, some of them being obvious the, the fact that they were both communist countries the ethnicity of people is kind of similar in northern Transylvania where I grew up. So, so that that's there, and then here and there, 
um, has stories that are a little more eclectic. Some of them are stories of a recent immigrant to this country, uh, obviously stories that were inspired by my experience as an immigrant. And there's, I think, one story that happens in France where I studied for a while. And there, there are several that are sort of fabulous and and I think here and there, you know, should be taken also in the sense of things that happen here and there, because once you lived over there, you you never totally leave it behind, leave it behind, or or be at home mm-hmm. in another place. Um, you always leave somehow in between here and there, sort of. And you know, what's interesting to me too, especially about your uh, novel, Stephen, is that um, you. This novel is about the journey to become a poet that you undertook, and yet it is also the completion of the journey you made from poetry to this novel. So it's a kind of a a, a, a Mobius strip for you, isn't it? Well, it's true that this is the only uh, attempt I've really ever made to write a uh, long narrative. I've written... I, I've never even thought of myself as a short story writer. I mean, I've written a lot of short prose, but it's mostly in the form of the essay, mm-hmm. often autobiographical, sometimes completely imaginary. I don't know if you were around here in the 70s and 80s when I was writing my columns in the Santa Cruz Press, but um, I used to write a column in the Independent and also in the Santa Cruz Express and then also later in The, the Sun, in which... Uh, Every so often, I would just go off, you know, on a fantasy journey. Um, sometimes based upon events in in the in in the news, and other times um, more autobiographical. But uh, no, this, this book. I mean, it's true. This book, in a way, the writing of this book was my. It's true. It's my birth as a as a novelist, and mm-hmm. I don't even know if I'll do it again because writing a novel is a totally different undertaking than writing a poem um or even doing translation or or any of the other kinds of writing that i do um but for me the only reason i wrote this book was because i just had i had to do it i mean it was a way of both um coming to terms with the experience of uh documenting the experience of commemorating it and of um, saving myself the trouble of explaining to people uh, <laughs> why I am you know how I took the turn that I did in my in my uh, uh, vocation mm-hmm. um, because I started out you know pretty straight and was uh, on that academic trail and and then I just took a left turn somewhere and 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 decided no this is i i really want to be a creative writer and and uh this is how it happened uh kind of it, it, in a way it was almost involuntary because the people uh the 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 um the transformation that the this character undergoes is something that kind of comes to him and and i i feel that that writing uh is a vocation, you know, it's not like a career option. It's something that, mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on the kind of writing you do, but if you want to be an imaginative writer, you you have, you depend upon something from out there, like coming to get you and demanding that you do it. Um, I, I don't think it's something that I would have attempted to do 
because I thought it would be fun or interesting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, one thing I, I think uh, I really like about this book is it has a kind of a dark and prickly vision of this time that we've seen a lot of sunny and sunniness and happiness rain down uh, the summer of love, you know. And, and so talk about Altamont. Were you at Altamont? I was at Altamont. It's funny because <laughs> that, that's another... I mean, it's it wasn't really a primary motive for writing this book, but I mm-hmm. think um, Gary Young, whose Greenhouse Review Press published it, uh, thought it was a timely it was timely to bring it out mm-hmm. on the 40th anniversary of Altamont, which is you know only a little bit later in the year than the 40th anniversary of Woodstock. Woodstock has been just marketed to death in terms of you know this idea of peace and love and happiness and and music and and bliss. Um, most of the people I know who grew up through the 60s uh, or, or who were sort of coming of age at that time, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't a happy time. You know, it no. was a really, really <laughs> difficult time. I mean, for a variety of reasons. One is like today, there was only only in a different way. There was a, a very devastating uh, war overseas. The difference being that at that time there was a draft and so people were going involuntarily into this war uh and also you know all, we all know about the history of the vietnam war and how controversial the the whole premise of the war was and turned out to be but um so there was the war in the background and there was this all this upheaval at home which had to do both with the politics and with the cultural change partly brought on by the the use of uh, the popularization of the use of certain uh, psychoactive drugs um, so that um, it was it was a really tough time for a lot of people and some people you know sort of muddled through it and other people totally flipped out and and other people you know maybe were so intent upon not getting spun out by it that they maybe became more uh, more defensive about a way of life that seemed to be changing. You know, everybody had a different way of responding to this this sort of critical moment in history. But that's a very, I mean, it's a very insightful observation because I've seen some people look at this book at least initially and say oh the 60s this will be t- trippy you know this will be a, a real trip through the 60s and well it is a trip through the 60s but it's a pretty bad trip you know <laughs> and and it's but it's not without its redemption it, yeah i mean it's it's not the 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 narrator has this vision mm-hmm. of of the that that countercultural uh uh utopian uh imaginative loving musical reality that he wants to help promote as a as an artist um but he keeps bumping up against you know all this other stuff that refuses to cooperate and 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 that's where you know his intense uh, suffering comes in because it's not the world that he would like it to be even though he's you know he's trying to convince people that that's the way it that's the way it ought to be Alta, talk, talk about the way – one of the things that interests me uh, about the way you write your stuff is it, is it has a, a very 
poetic flavor to to these stories. They remind me of what's called flash fiction in some way. And, and Voice of Ice is even more so, could just be called flash fiction in, in many ways. And this does too. And one of the things that, that really interests me about this is this propensity that you display for referring to characters by their first initial. I, I'm thinking of the wedding story. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about that and the kind of uh, interesting um, distance that that it's an, it creates both an intimacy and a distance. I think in the same manner, you can just toss off it's cousin K. Or... Okay, well there are several questions there. So um, okay, let me try to remind to remember all of them. So the the flash fiction question. Um, I mean, just in parentheses, I should say that I don't really really like the term, but that's beside the point. Uh-huh. But but you're right. It's a certain kind of very very short story that sometimes is called a prose poem, and and it's true. I write in the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the genre that most appeals to me, and um, I don't do it on purpose or, or anything. It's just it comes that way, and I think it's because I am I am a writer of narratives, but for me, a narrative is not defined in the same way that is probably defined for other people. It's not a question of plot, but it's a question of of something that takes place suddenly in the world. And it's the description of that world through a lens that for other people might be called fantastic, but mm-hmm. which for me is just a way of looking at the, at the world. So let's say that about the flash fiction. And about the, the wedding, it's interesting. The wedding actually is the longest story in the book. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, it's the, a longer story. Um, well, the <laughs> it has initials and not names for... Um, well, because the, peop- the the initials refer to real people, and it's their the, actually they are true. Uh, it's their true initials, mm-hmm. and it's fr- from the real name. Um, I, I ju- it just came naturally to do it in that way. Sometimes I, I do things like that, and uh, um, because sometimes I, I think it's it's, it's just it, your primary in, your first impulse should be respected when you when you write a story, and it came out that way, um, and it's. Um, it, it's a story, actually, that it's um, very much real. <laughs> we'll get back to my conversation with uh, Stephen Kessler and Alta Ifland in just a moment. Now let's return to Stephen Kessler and Alta Ifland. Uh, Stephen... One of the things that that I thought found really interesting about this book was this uh the you know the the many details that you put in here that you know refer to local landmarks and places and and sideways translations of things. Could you talk about the the process of recreating reality in a way that's like non libelous <laughs> Non libelous to the places, you yeah, mean? to the places, and, and, <laughs> and to just uh, you know rewriting, you know recreating what what yesteryear in a place mm-hmm. that we look around now and is very different. Change yeah. the landscape and the social landscape have changed. Well, I did change the name, the names of uh, institutions uh, or most of the institutions uh, that are mentioned, uh, except for San Francisco City Prison, San Francisco. General Hospital and Santa Cruz County Hospital. Um, 
the uh, but the cities. I mean, I'm a native Californian. I mm-hmm. was born and raised in L.A. Uh, I went to school back east for a while. I came out to Santa Cruz in uh, 1968 to go to graduate school, which which was how I first arrived here. Mm-hmm. And as this book partly documents, um, I left graduate school, um, and but I hung around in in Santa Cruz. So I'm, and I've lived in Northern California uh, most of my adult life. So I'm very familiar with the landscape. One of the things that is an incidental um, uh, kind of a texture of this book is my evocations of certain certain places, uh, n- certain natural uh, environments, the uh, San Lorenzo Valley, the Santa Cruz Mountains, the Southern California. Um, there's a there's a scene uh, in in Malibu in in Southern California. There is one uh, seemingly endless uh, walk around uh, San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of that just came from memory. Um, I I didn't really have to embellish or invent or, or mask or transform um, what I was describing. Um, but what it, you do have to do is recreate that world the way it was then the way it was then because we look at it now and it's very different for us so it's kind of a what i call a world building process Uh Uh, well you know memory is really good for certain things Mm -hmm. um uh (laughs) if uh uh if if one you know if you have an experience that makes a a really deep impression upon you at least this is my experience you remember a lot of stuff that you don't even realize you remember until you start actually writing about it. Mm-hmm. That what happened, I wrote this book uh, more, 20 years, I started the book 20 years after the experiences described. Um, Did and, you find yourself remembering things as you were writing because you were writing? Absolutely. Interesting. Um, and this, I mean, I think this happens all the time in, in writing, you know, that, that you start telling a story and you don't necessarily even know where it's going, but it starts coming to you in ways that bring back things that you didn't even know that you remembered. Um, and this book is filled with a lot of, um, a lot of specific uh, details that I didn't really set out to record, but that organically appeared in the course of, of writing it, some of which did not necessarily happen in exactly the way that they're described. Some characters, you know, are composites. Some situations might have happened in uh, at at not exactly the time in the story that they w- are depicted happening. But you know, in in fiction, that's your license. And and my goal was to tell a coherent story mm-hmm. rather than just relate a bunch of experiences. Um, so it wasn't, um, I mean, you know, I disguised some people, uh, but really very thinly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I invented some some people based upon other people. Um, Has anybody recognized themselves? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alta, you do a similar thing, especially, I think, for, for those of us who haven't lived in, in Eastern Europe, uh, in terms of creating a, a world that 
you know, you understand from within, but we have to experience from without. Um, And one of the things I love about your stories is they have such a wonderful sense of the fantastic in them. Um, It's not like they're fantasy or um, science fiction or any of that kind of thing, but they just have this sense, and it's not like they're magic realism either. You kind of go between, I think, our understandings of these categories. Talk about, you know, do these categories... Um, have you read in these categories, and, and how does that affect your writing, your your what we read? Uh, well, I certainly read in these categories, but um, bef- before I answer this in more detail, I, w- I want slightly to go back to mm-hmm. something you said about the wedding, mm-hmm. um, because it was something I think that was really good, and I th- other people notice it too. You you use the word distance, mm-hmm. uh, which you oppose to intimacy, so that you could feel both things. And I think this is because, and, and it's it's very true, I think this is because I don't really think with nostalgia when no. I think of that world. Mm-hmm. In spite of the title of the book, which might be misleading for some people, uh, the initial title was different, but that fell because the publisher did not include the story that gave the book the initial, the initial title. So the the title that it has now may, think, may make something some people think that it's a nostalgic book or a nostalgic trip. Uh, it's not, and no. everybody, no. everybody who lived in under communism, would understand uh, what I'm talking about. Um, actually, I know some Romanian people who actually didn't read the book because they thought that it's some kind of a nostalgic trip to to that world, and it's not. But at the same time, there is this so apparently fantastic element. Which, as I say, um, comes from from a way of looking at the world, um, and, and also from the way the reality was actually, mm-hmm. because the reality was in such a way that for some people from an American that might seem like surreal, but that mm-hmm. was just the real. Um, and I remember, for example, when um, I was giving when I was when I wrote my book of prose poems, and Stephen was um, reading them, he often said, "Oh, this is very very good surreal poem." But it just described the very real reality that I live. <laughs> like, for example, a poem about a train with chickens or something like that. Um, that was how a train looked like in communist Romania. Um, so what for somebody here might seem fantastic over there was actually simply the reality. It was just the reality. And, and that makes me wonder, um, if that was your reality, how do you experience life over here? Do you find that... Life over here is tinged with the fantastic. I mean, there's lots of kind of really odd stuff going on, both technologically, socially, culturally. Uh, and, and I wonder too, um, Stephen, uh, do you do you find? I mean, this your book also has a real feel of the fantastic, especially as your character spirals out into his uh, into an increasingly isolated world or a, a world that is maybe orbiting ours at geosynchronous <laughs> point. Uh, could you guys, both of you, talk about um, the interplay of how you feel about, you know, your connection to reality, which sometimes seems somewhat tenuous. You mean the connection we feel now? Uh, now mm-hmm. and and in, in your books, too. Well, I, reality is something, I mean, one of the things I learned in in the course of the experience on which this book is based Mm -hmm. is that um, there is a lot of latitude in so-called reality, you know, and that you don't, uh, I think what's really critical and and what I think 
the character in this book eventually comes to understand, at least in in an incipient way, is that um, you can your imagination can be as crazy as it wants, uh, as long as you don't act it out every time. People may, and I think I think a lot of people feel very privately eccentric. You know, they mm-hmm. they, they feel. That you know that you get up in the morning, you go out, you interact with people, you go to your job or you go shopping or you do what you do with the rest of the world, and there are certain rules that are agreed upon that you obey because if you don't, people start to think you're really strange. But your perception, I think, you know, one of the things that 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 literature does, especially in you know since the turn of the 20th century but you know in, in a different way uh, technically in a different way before that but i'm thinking of you know joyce and wolf and the stream of consciousness where where you have um literature shows the interior life of mm-hmm. people uh which is often different from the ex- exterior life and you know, you have Madame Bovary or someone, you know, who who lives this totally bourgeois life. But then there's this other thing going on at the same time that is really, you know, dangerously unconventional. Um, I think, you know, probably most people have secret private lives in one way or another. And mm-hmm. that if they if it were revealed that this is what they were thinking or this is what they were doing in a the safety of some kind of privacy, um, they might be considered, you know, deviant in some way. So in a way, I feel now that, that, uh, you know, I can, I can deal with reality, but, but, but I'm not, I'm not like a, a, uh, uh, an advocate <laughs> of that reality. I, I can testify he deals very well with reality. I, I love that idea that, that that we can deal with it, but we don't have to advocate. Yeah, <laughs> and we don't have to accept it as uh-huh. as as capital R real. You know the that there there, there are yeah. different there are different levels of reality, and you know sometimes the the intimate crazy reality has a greater truth to it than. Mm-hmm. The consensual reality, which is based upon order and 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 everybody getting along okay and and you know uh, society functioning in in its normal manner, being very polite. You know, it strikes me too that these are both very uh, internal books. That they 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 both seem to be very much observed, not you know by by the narrators and, and uh, Alta. You know you. Uh, move through the a variety of narrators and situations in, in this book. Um, when you're creating these pieces, how deeply do you immerse yourselves in, in them? I mean, how how deeply does something like Fedja the Grave Digger take hold of you? Well, um, as in Stephen's case, um, a lot of the characters are based on real people, not Fedja, but other mm-hmm. characters, uh, actually on people from my family. Um, um, and that's why sometimes they have only initials. Uncle Otto. Uh, well, Uncle Otto is um, is based on some people, but it's actually more fictional than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just want to briefly go to this um, idea of reality and take it from a different perspective, mm-hmm. um, because I, in my case, and, and I, I want to talk about it in a, in very concrete terms. Just my first impression of American reality when I came to this country. 
uh, I came as a refugee from one of the most isolated communist countries on the face of the earth. Romania was extremely isolated. I had never traveled anywhere. Uh, we didn't receive news from anywhere in the world. Um, so I came to the United States and I landed in Florida and what I saw was for me like, uh, it looked like the moon, literally. It really looked like the moon because the streets were empty. There were these huge streets and highways and they were, I was not used to that. Everybody was inside and there were thousands, there were thousands of cars, you know, on these highways. And for me, it literally looked like the moon. Um, and everything was like an alternate reality for a long time. I mean, even the way people walked on the street, even the expression on their faces was of a different human race. So, um, you know, American reality is not very poetic, but <laughs> when you come from literally a different planet, it can look like the moon. And, and, and now, after all these years, it's when I look back to that other reality that it looks like like a like a story it, it seems hard to believe that i actually lived it so it's it's i mean if when you look in very different realities the 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 difference is can be so big that um sometimes you wonder if it was real or if it was a fiction one of the things i like about both your books is this uh, is that you make it very pleasurable to immerse ourselves in these perceptions and, and they're really fun your your short stories are really fun to read because they get us in and out in, into this kind of uh, surreal worlds that they're like bubbles that, with with kind of uh, big people floating in them and Stephen, your book is is uh like a it's very you know i never i would never have thought of huck finn until you said it now that i think about it it's, it's like a journey down a river exactly yeah, yeah it's, it's a journey up and down california and uh, you know it, it is part of Part of that tradition, um, and what, what, what I'd lost your. Uh, what, you, you were just talking about um, something that you the, wanted us to respond to. The internal perceptions of of your mm. of your characters, and, and this is your character has a very. It's all internalized, which is oh, what I really enjoy. I know what what you were saying was that it was sort of as strange as these worlds were. It was kind of enjoyable to experience mm -hmm. them. And this speaks to the function of art, mm -hmm. you know, that, that the, you can take a terrible experience. I mean, I wouldn't wish the experience that is, is described here on my readers necessarily. Um, no, but it's pleasurable to read. But the, the, the goal of making a work of art is to, you know, create an aesthetic manifestation of it that that does give some kind of pleasure i mean it's not i've had people say to me well i can't say i exactly enjoyed your book except for the the sentences you know except for the for the 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 aesthetic pleasure of it because it it is a difficult journey that this character takes but it's also really funny in places you mm -hmm. know and, oh yes and so th it's not as if it's like oppressive in in the sense of um you know, being a constant uh, 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 ordeal. It's, it, but it, but it, it's, it's a journey that, hopefully, in the telling, becomes something more than what it was to have to suffer through it. Oh, I should. Uh, I don't want to forget this. I should just jump in and and mention that it was maybe because the reality I lived over there, because it was so oppressive and horrible, that actually, I. Some of the fantastic, fantastic came as a sort of compensation because the stories themselves are actually much more beautiful 
and they don't actually reveal at all the, the, the oppressive reality that, that I live over there. So some of this was probably a compensation in, in my stories, a certain fantastic. Well, we'll look forward to speaking with you and hearing from you both at the Capitola Book Cafe this coming uh, Thursday at 7.30 p.m. I've been speaking with Alta Ifland. Her new book is a collection of stories called Elegy for a Fabulous World. And Stephen Kessler, his new book is The Mental Traveler. Thank you for joining me, Alta and Stephen. Thanks Thank a you. lot for inviting us. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.